It's Monday the 20th of January 2020. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. I'm joined this week by two esteemed journalists, Anna Sigurður Einarsdóttir and Iceland Review's Ragnar Thomas Hartgrimsson. Welcome to you both. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, this week has understandably been mostly about the three avalanches that struck Suðureyri and Flateyri in the Westfjords on Tuesday night. Uh, this week was also the 25th anniversary of the deadly avalanche that struck Suðavík. Um, on the other side of the country, two Chinese tourists died in the storm early last week as they attempted to visit the famous American plane wreck on Solheimasandur. Did they ignore the weather warning or were they unaware of it? Local government employees are engaged in long-running wage and conditions contracts negotiations. Eplink is calling for strike action in the city of Reykjavik. Uh, meanwhile, another contract has been signed and will be voted on. The recession in the tourism industry in 2019 was smaller than expected and per-person spending held up well. The president of Iceland has 80% support in the country from supporters of nearly all political parties. Iceland's handballers have started the main round of the EHF European Men's Handball Championship with a loss and a win, and they have two games still to go. And all ten of the songs in the running to become Iceland's Eurovision entry this year were revealed to the public on Saturday evening, and everyone everyone was very excited, of course. Uh, so where would you like to begin? <clears throat> I'm, I'm a big fan of the handball, so maybe there. <laughs> yeah? OK. Um, it's... Um, Mixed fortunes so far. Yeah, but we had a, a nice win, was it yesterday, against mm-hmm. Portugal? Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe things are on the up after two losses in a row. Um, did you Did you guys watch the game? I did. I didn't, mm-hmm. but I always kind of follow the, the results after, so I sort of know where we stand, but I'm superstitious in the fact that, you know, I, I think if I watch, it's going to go badly. Yeah, I can, uh, I can relate. Powerful, powerful. <laughs> So the loss against Hungary in the final match of the uh, group stage mm-hmm. meant that we went through with no points um, and then losing the first match in the main round, still no points. Now we have two and possibility of four more. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What, what, I mean we're not going to win the competition. Is that possible even still? Well, I mean, I think we can advance to with the finals. If, But, I mean, it's a very slim chance. Someone said that prior to the main rounds that we, we would need... Seven points. So, I mean, we have a possibility of six at this stage, but I think anything is uh, possible. Um, but, I mean, we have some very tough opponents. We meet, uh, we face Norway tomorrow, yeah. which I think they've won every single game of the tournament so far. So They uh, had a good victory against Sweden, didn't they? Yes. So, so I they mean, be, they're, they're looking to east and west. They've beaten the, the right. guys to the east. <laughs> now they're looking west to Iceland. <laughs> And I think uh, I was speaking to my uh, father-in-law this weekend and he was saying, you know, we're Icelanders are always the same. As soon as we win one big game, we always think we're going to take the tournament. Um, so, I mean, I think that's wrong. We need to temper our expectations a little bit, maybe. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's good to have made it this far. And uh, let's see what we can do against Norway. Yes, and then we have Sweden, who's at the bottom of this particular... Um, and... Um, you know, Sweden's, you know, throughout history, Sweden's been very difficult for us. Yeah, that's right. There's this phrase, Sveja Grilan, the Swedish ogre. <laughs> so. <laughs> is, that, is that handball specific? Or yes. In, yeah, okay. yeah. 
I mean, Sweden's a nice place other than that. <laughs> yeah. 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 We spoke to um, Gudunvaller actually for Iceland to Rio um, just prior to the tournament, and it's amazing. I've been watching him especially closely. Forty years old, um, playing with a handball team for twenty years, still signed with one of the biggest clubs in in Europe, and so, having uh, a great tournament so far. And having a great tournament. Mm-hmm. He's uh, the ageless wonder, as I'd like to call him. Mm. Pretty amazing. Did you um, find out anything interesting, new information in your interview? Well, the whole piece was actually um, because uh, there was the lead-up was very brief. I had, I think, I got the call that there was a press conference suddenly, so I had 15 minutes to prepare, and I haven't been watching a lot of handball, so the uh, the running theme was actually that I don't know how much use this interview is going to be, but uh, I mean, yeah, it's he's playing with two players on the team who are younger than his daughters. Um, he's been playing with three generations of handballers. He's the highest scoring handball player in the history of international competition. So, I mean, a lot of interesting tidbits. Mm. Um, yeah, so I'll be watching him. It's been interesting to mm. sort of pay, paying attention to one player very often, like mm-hmm. during the first game. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, quite the achievement. Mm. And several of the the players from the Olympic period a decade ago, they're still in there. Aaron uh, Pomerson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The goalkeeper, Gustafsson, what's his name? Uh, Björgen. Björgen mm-hmm. Pott, yeah. And they're having a great tournament as well. They're really yeah, yeah. having a good time. And especially uh, Alexander Pettersson. Yes. Yeah, who took a break from international competition and is returning. Is, Absolutely. I mean, and I, what I hear sort of just talking to people who aren't... Um, handball enthusiasts, people are like surprised. Well, I didn't think we were this good this right. time around. Mm-hmm. People, before the, competi- the tournament, they weren't really expecting too much, I think. We've had a few down years. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. But then uh, he, he actually, uh, Oliver Stefansson, the, the former captain, he was, did you see, he was doing an interview with uh, Gisli Mastid uh-huh. on on uh, on television, and he actually said, "I think we have pretty good chances this year because we got the old coach back and a couple of old legends, and and some of the younger players are fantastic as well. The uh, the young goalkeeper who's mm. I think ranked the uh, like a top three most talented up and coming players. So yeah, it's it's been fun. Yeah, <laughs> being able to smile over the handball again. You can't really tell the two goalkeepers apart. They're both performing." equally in my opinion mm. which is all credit to the new guy uh, yeah mm. definitely and he saved uh, was it three penalties against Slovenia mm. that's uh, that's very impressive mm. right before we lose 50% of our audience let's move on to something that everyone everyone is interested in um, presumably maybe the, the avalanches yeah that was uh, the biggest news of the week mm-hmm. certainly and understandably so um what have we learned? What have we learned? Well, I think a lot of people will be have been shocked to find out that not all of the funding, which is supposedly to go towards building and uh, deflecting dams, has mm. been going there so far. And that's something that government really needs to answer for and what that money has been used on. I know it's not just this government. It's been going on since '97. You know, but where's that money gone? And this is something the Minister of Finance, Bjartne, says, no, this isn't, it's not normal, but it's not illegal. 
And I think the general consensus now is that this has to change. You can't go on like this. And um, there was an expert from the Met Office yesterday on the news saying, well, we really need to um, look at the deflecting dams that have been built so far. Are they strong enough? Are they big enough? Mm-hmm. One of the designers at the one in Flateri said the day after that they built it a lot higher than it was recommended. Mm-hmm. And and still it passed over it, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, they made the decision also not to protect the uh, harbour area, which mm-hmm. is turning out to be very controversial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they lost, uh, I think, seven out of the eight boats, yeah. which are... Uh, it's almost the entire fishing fleet of that village gone. Exactly. And the fishing fleet is so important. Yeah. 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 Right, so that's... Yeah, it's terrible. And I, and I think especially people who live in these areas, I mean, there are several high-risk areas in the country who, you know, as far as they know, they're paying a percentage of their homeowner's insurance goes toward the avalanche fund, yeah. if I understand correctly. And uh, and finding out that that money isn't being spent on what you certainly would have hoped it would have been spent on. So, Do we know what it has been spent no, on? No, no one's answered that so far. and And that's something I feel they have to answer, you know. Has it gone on roads, housing, you know, whatever else? Right. Mm. Yeah, because it's such a... I mean, they've been dragging their feet. Originally, they intended to finish uh, or using the money to update all of these dams and barriers in, mm-hmm. by 2010, initially, yeah. I think. And then they extended it to 2020. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, the current plan, there's uh, no set date, no. which is... Uh, uh, and they were saying if it... Go, you know, if um, if it goes on like this, we're talking 2050. Yeah, right. And, you know, that's a long way away. And you still have eight places that are unprotected. Mm-hmm. And even those places that are supposedly protected today, I imagine the inhabitants there must be asking themselves, well, are we really? Mm-hmm. Right. I know the the dams worked this time around up to a point, but there was still one house. There was the harbour. What's it like in the other uh, villages? Mm. Definitely, yeah. We we uh, actually ran a, a piece on the uh, the maritime accident prevention school, Slesavatnaskole Shomana, recently, mm-hmm. and it was interesting to follow the history of accident prevention in um, in uh, the maritime sector, and it's always tragedy or near tragedy that seems to drive innovation and regulation. Mm-hmm. That you always need some kind of bad thing to happen for uh, people to respond, which, I mean, I don't think is entirely unsurprising, but you would hope that we'd learn something um, because we've been losing people in in avalanches and in uh, maritime disasters for so many years. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, so it seems to be a a trend among Icelanders. Mm -hmm. It's this uh, mentality, maybe. Sometimes you need to kick up the backside, metaphorically speaking, right. to, to invest these massive sums of money that are needed. Yes. But w- with regard to the Flateri barrier, um, I believe that when they built it, their priority, the only priority, yeah. is saving lives. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we can't really count the harbour thing as a no, failure. No. Mm-hmm. No. Obviously, the house being inundated and mm-hmm. the girl getting buried mm-hmm. very much should not have happened. No, but they have said, you know, this avalanche was bigger. I mean, it was traveling at a speed of almost 200 kilometers when it hits the uh, the dam. You kind of have to ask yourself, uh, the calculations when this was done, were they 
built on some other criteria than we need to today. I mean, no one's talking about climate change in this respect, but is it something we need to look at? More heavier snowfall in a shorter period of time. More extreme weather, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, we've seen the... There's been so many accidents uh, at the start of the year and at the tail end of the year, Mm -hmm. uh, weather-related. So, I mean, I think maybe there... uh, we need more drastic measures, more drastic, more desperate times. It has been a very weathery uh, yes. winter so far. There's no two ways about it. Mm. Whether that's just this year or not, we don't know. Well, we yeah. had, um, what was it, three years ago or so, where we had like this lane of storms coming over the southwest. And I think, I think it was like 90 storms in not many more days. <laughs> yeah, right, I remember so it, that. It's more spread out this yeah. time round, but uh, even so, yeah, we, mm. we've had some pretty shitty weather lately. And more snow this year, Yes, than, than over the last... At least here in the south-west and, and probably the west as well. The north uh, was very snowy last year, if I remember correctly. Yes, and then uh, people have been mentioning the sort of the aptness of... Uh, concluding the the, uh, the 2010s with the wildfires in Australia, uh, which seemed to kick off this very important uh, decade mm. in our fight against climate change, and I think we we've seen the same thing here in Iceland with uh, the extreme weather in the north and you know 100 horses dying, yeah. which is unprecedented. So things are obviously changing quite rapidly, it seems, mm. and uh, I think we need to be on guard, mm. certainly. Now, with regard to the other avalanche in in, in Suðureyri, um, it didn't hit the village. It was on the opposite side of the fjord. Yeah. It came down an unprotected mountainside, and then a tidal wave was triggered that did hit the village. Yeah. That's um, worrying. It's happened before in this particular village. Um, there is um, what would you say? Um, there's a protective uh, sort of. Um, Harbour... Uh, a wall, a wall, harbour wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which uh, I, I, I'm not sure how many years ago it was built, but it's like three metres high. And they're saying this particular tidal wave was around six metres. So had it not been for that wall, things would have gone worse. Mm. But maybe it wasn't high enough for what's possibly to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they, uh, they got off quite... We were quite fortunate. I mean, yeah. there was... Uh, was flooding around the uh, the road by the by the harbour, right? Mm-hmm. But there were no significant damages to speak yeah. of, right? Some cellars, you know, cellars, getting flooded, yeah. but uh, a couple of cars moved, yeah, right, yeah. but not destroyed. Yeah, yes, it could have been worse. Uh, which possibly brings us on to the twenty fifth anniversary yeah. of when it was worse. Um, mm-hmm. It didn't escape anyone's notice that the the government leaders visited on that anniversary yeah. day, which was two days after Thursday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we have a lot to be thankful for. Mm-hmm. I mean, and for the people of Vladdery to have this happen <clears throat> now, it must be so traumatising. I mean, yes, no one died, we can be thankful for that. Mm-hmm. But you're living there, um, you've had these uh, deflecting dams, you know, supposedly keeping you safe. And there was uh, on the news the night before... The, uh, the avalanches struck. There was uh, an interview with one of the, the residents sort of saying, you know, yeah, we feel really safe here. The, um, the dams have been proving their worth. People aren't overly worried. Yeah, we know, you know, they may come, to, but we're safe. And then you have this. 
Right. So for those who remember, you know, 20 people dying there in October um, 95, it must be, it just must bring everything back up. Exactly, yeah. Do you remember where you were? I was uh, living in UK at the time. Okay. So, you know, with there not being any um, internet media at the time, yeah, you, you got it through your sort of weekly phone phone call from your parents. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, this happened. And I remember my mom sent me clippings about both of the, um, the avalanches and what had been going on. But uh, you're too distant in a way to take it fully in as you do when you, you basically have a live feed. Mm. Right. Yeah, I was uh, I was nine at the time, but I remember I have this sort of vague memory of a, a schoolmate of mine losing a close relative, mm. um, and just how you know the the gravity and the solemnity and the sort of serious silence that followed in the wake of it all. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was too young to understand what exactly had happened, but you know, you really felt uh, yeah the gravity of the moment and the tragedy of it all. Mm. So I mean, yeah, it's. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we can we can uh, let this tragedy help drive regulation and innovation and and you know just yeah we're waiting on answers still hopefully yeah yeah um, the good that's going to come from this obviously you mentioned the the avalanche barrier fund yeah yeah I think the um, I think it was Morgenblad this morning that I had gotten um, response from the uh, uh, from the uh, um, environmental uh, ministry that uh, there were 13 billion kroners currently in that fund. So regardless of whatever else this money has been spent on, there are 13 billion there now. Exactly. And he's been very uh, vocal, yeah. the former mayor of... Uh, He's a I think he's on the, he sits on the board of the Avalanche Fund and according to him he's been pressuring uh, the government trying to uh, trying to get them to spend that money where it needs mm. to be spent, but there's been little action. Mm. So that rings some warning bells as well. And hopefully our attention span will be long enough to actually pressure this through. Exactly. That it, we're not just going to go on as we have, that there would actually be done more about it. And, and yeah, I hope there will be some recalculations as well. Are they safe enough? Is it big enough? What are our priorities as well? Yeah. Maybe we should be protecting valuable things it's like harbours, absolutely, uh, not yeah. just lives. Yeah, because yeah. there, there seemed to be some um, uncertainty regarding um, insurance of those boats for this type of accident, like uh, you know, an avalanche. Y- you may um, insure yourself against uh, certain harm at sea, but is an avalanche one of them? Right. Mm. I mean, from yes, yeah. <laughs> the answer is yes. But yeah, I know what insurance companies are like. Yeah. Okay, time's running away from us. Um, maybe we should move on to something else. But where is the question? Do you want um, to talk about um, uh, strikes or um, the Chinese tourists tonight? Well, of course, that's that's very closely linked to the thing that we've just been talking about, isn't yes, it? Yes, uh, yes. Weather and things. What? Yeah, maybe we should. Um, obviously, these, this very tragic case mm-hmm. of two Chinese tourists, young people, yeah. uh, early 20s, a couple, walking out in the storm, presumably, yeah. um, to, to see the the plane wreck, yes. which we're all familiar with. 
and, and they died of exposure because it was so stormy. It's it's tragic. It's 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 horrible. I mean, uh, like you said, we don't know at this moment when did they go. Did no one warn them? Did they go regardless because they had a um, short time to, and they really really wanted to visit? Mm. And uh, as someone who lives in Iceland, you know, weather changes really suddenly, and you may leave somewhere when it's completely calm it's lovely weather an hour later it's horrendous but we know it wasn't then because they were yeah. seen driving they were recorded on cameras yeah, driving yeah. through Kvalsvötlis uh, Monday lunchtime and it was the storm but maybe you just don't take Icelandic weather seriously enough yeah I think that's got to be I mean uh, we've we've heard from a lot of people who've been saying that you know people who don't grow up with these kind of conditions they're you know they're too nonchalant they don't know what they're getting into and it seems like uh I mean the tragic aspect uh, the tragic detail in my mind was that they were found you know 150 yeah. meters yeah. apart from each other which suggests that you know the storm was it was a blinding snowstorm and they got separated and they couldn't find each other and you know, uh, there's so many questions unanswered and we're still waiting on the results of the autopsy. This is the second time um, this has happened uh, near that plane. It was at the beginning of uh, 2018 that uh, a man died, perished mm. due to weather conditions there. I I don't think we were uh, looking at anything similar like the, uh, the yellow or orange alert that was on when those two people... Uh, went out there but it just goes to show it you you don't always know and you you don't you you can't always foresee what it's going to be like out there right was it uh, is it an hour's walk round trip from the plane do you know do you know i've never been i've never been either <laughs> nor have i i really want to always always did i didn't know where it was until until last year yeah probably i believe it is about 30 minutes each way right yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. But those 30 minutes can be too long when the weather conditions are horrible. I mean, we have those, uh, we have these continuous warnings um, regarding the, the the sea and who listens? Hardly any of the tourists. Are they getting the message though? Well, there are signs and you have tour guards saying, uh, yes, we're warning people off, we're telling them not to go down there. <clears throat> but... It looks fun. It doesn't look too bad. Yeah, and I think we've we've got this excellent tool in, in the form of Safe Travel, mm. the the website with the uh, with all the conditions, the road closures, the weather warnings. I mean, if you're planning on doing any traveling, it's wise to visit the site to see what are the conditions like. Can yeah. you pass through the roads? Mm. Um, personally, I wouldn't go anywhere without uh, during winter time without checking checking to see the conditions. But as you say, there's a lot of people who obviously ignore the warnings, yeah. uh, and that's a big problem. In this case, we don't know yet if they ignored the warnings or if they didn't know about them. Yeah. But um, are we doing enough to help specifically Chinese tourists who may not understand English? Uh, probably not, but they may go through different routes. You know, they may be in contact with... Uh, Chinese guides who don't necessarily know the what the uh, conditions here are like. I mean, this is a chatter you hear on um, Facebook sites for uh, people in the tourist industry. This is something that they bring up time and time again, mm. that you, you don't just have Icelandic tour operators or Icelandic um, uh, 
hotel companies. I mean, lots of people are going Airbnb and... Uh, I mean, personally, I really don't think it's very wise for uh, tourists who are not used to um, winter conditions like here to be driving on their own in winter here. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. It scares me at times. Mm. Agreed. Yeah. But I mean, you don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know where they got their information from or mm. if they got any or, you know, there were just a couple of happy um, university students. And you, you're not paying too much attention there when you're at that age. You know, are you you don't go through sort of rigid travel agencies or, or you're not necessarily going uh, the sort of more um, standard routes. Exactly. Yeah. Just Yeah, independent travel. Yeah, so. yeah. A very sad case. Yes. Um, and as ever, lessons to be learned. But uh, I'm not sure if it's come to light yet what exactly no. those lessons are. No. Um, but probably more information in Chinese is something that we could be doing. Yes, because uh, Chinese um, tourism is on the increase. I think they're expecting about 130,000 Chinese tourists in Iceland this year. And that's up 40,000 from 2018. Mm. Which is, uh, yeah, an important growth market. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, someone mentioned strike action. <laughs> 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 Basically, we we the biggest topic on this program, um, you know, last spring was obviously this week after week, the, yeah. the Leafs get or something good. Mm -hmm. uh, and kind of felt like it was all over but it isn't because yeah. all the different industries negotiate on their own yeah. and local government employees have been at this for months now haven't they mm -hmm. and and not been getting anywhere or N nope <laughs> that, that's at least what it looks like i mean i don't know how many meetings there have been or if it's just meetings for the sake of meetings where no one's willing to budge either each way um well Eplink now has said well we're going to vote on a strike this uh, tomorrow, this Tuesday, uh, against the you know city of Reykjavik, they have eighteen hundred workers that work for um, Reykjavik city. Uh, I think about seven hundred of those are in the um, care um, industry, and a thousand uh, in the city's uh, kindergartens. Mm. So this could have considerable effect mm. if it it's approved. I mean, and, yeah, they have a good history of that. It probably will be approved. Yes, by and members. they really kind of showed themselves um, ready to be tough about this last year, with the hotel and uh, tourism section. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, my guess is it will be approved, uh, but will they manage to um, land a contract before the seventeenth of February when they plan to start a general strike? Wait and see. Wait and see, yeah. yeah. But then the uh, the Federation of Special and General Workers, Starskrinna somebody, they uh, they signed the contract last week. It's pending approval by vote in early February, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, I reviewed the contract, or they had a, a kind of a blog post or a, or a short bulletin on it on their website before this weekend, and it looks actually pretty pretty good. Um, I used to live in America, so I tend to reflect upon these things from the kind of American right. perspective, <laughs> where there's 10% union membership nationwide, and mm -hmm. you know there's no parental leave to speak of almost. Mm -hmm. So this contract stipulates, I think, uh, a 90,000 krona raise over a period of two or three years, 
mandatory parental leave period of 30 days, I believe, mm -hmm. and the abbreviation of the work week. So, I mean, and they oh. also had the um, possibility of a three-month sabbatical for workers, you know, which you can use to um, improve your skills in some ways, and I'm, that's a bonus. Uh, definitely, yeah. it is. Yeah. I mean, and it was a longer; it was a year longer than uh, what has been signed so far. But with um, the stipend of, you know, if there are any um, races, additional races for other um, groups in that period, they will. Um, get added on there as well. Yes. So what's the difference between that one that looks pretty good and will probably be approved and then the Epling City of Reykjavik and they're going to go on strike? What well, I, I'm not sure, but my guess it may have something to do with shift workers. Shift workers, because um, there's always this big talk um, throughout this whole... Um, the, the, these whole contracts about um, you know making the working week shorter when it comes to shift workers this seems to be extremely yeah. difficult to yeah. do yeah how does that work how do you go about shortening the work period of people who need to be on shift I mean the whole I think the whole concept of shift work is problematic as well because it's yeah. so extremely unhealthy I mean yeah. it's been shown to lead to increased rates of cancer and yeah. and it you know messes with the biological clock so because mm. some some services are needed 24 7 so yes. yeah and it's hard to get around it without you know maybe in, increasing the number of staff that could be the only way of uh, actually getting the work week shorter for those people exactly mm. well it doesn't get any more fun to say this every week but uh we are out of time <laughs> um the week in iceland will be back next monday the 27th of january on roof.as forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, through the Roof app, and on your favourite podcast platform. Gigantic thanks to my to my guests, uh, Anna Sigrider Einarsdottir and Ragnar Thomas Hallgrimsson, and also to Lydia Gretasdottir for running the studio. This week's piece of Icelandica is perhaps a little bit obscure. Uh, the band is called Sprengjöhötlin, and they remain relatively well known in Iceland, mostly for their 2007 album Tímarnir Okkar. This is a track from somewhere buried deep on that album, um, and it's about love and the seasons, and includes the line, after each and every winter, spring always returns. It's a message we could all do with hearing right now in deepest, darkest January. And it's a lovely tune to boot. This is Frau Glein Duvori. Bye for now. Aftur komi vor Og veröldin er splunkun í Og varla hægt að treysta á Neitt annað Ég mannfist hvar ég hitti þig Á mótum tveggja farleiða Og malbikið var kattvolt Lásólskin á báru járn Sem klæddi húsið bjarna stíg Og byrti okkur litin að þéttu Og þannig hef ég muna þig Þokka fulla dulræna Og þannig ertu Og alltaf geymi ég þið nær En nokkur tíman veistu af 
þó minning þín sé nú frá og máði burtu það sé önnur veröld í dag en var um árið skaltu muna það eftir sérhvern vetur kemur aftur vor Nætur þegar allt er aukt Á ég stundum við mig tal Og eigna mér þá veröldina heila Þá stöðvast allt mitt tímaskin Og stundin líður aldrei hjá Ef stíð ég ekki niður Stóðst þarna með mjúkan háls Og hár þitt lyktaði af klór Og hvaða heimur leið á hjá Ég man bara að hann var blár Bólurinn sem klætist þér En annað verði ekki Alltaf geymi ég þið nær En nokkuð tíman veistu af Þó að minning þín sé nú frá Og máði burtu Það sé önnur veröld í dag En var um árið Skaltu muna það Að þegar síst þú væntir Kemur alltaf aftur vor